for today. The first is Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people in it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison, those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And Isaiah 43, 1-7. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O God, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give you Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. I want to welcome those of you visiting today. Um, I'm the part-time interim pastor here at Clyde Godwin. Valerie and I live in Winston-Salem. Uh, I've been in the PCA for 41 years uh, as a pastor, uh, and I've done a lot of things and moved all over the country with my family. But I'm really thrilled to be here and be part of what God's doing in this season of North Cross. But welcome this morning. I'm just starting a series on the servant songs of Isaiah. There are four of them, uh, and we're right at the first one, Isaiah 42, because the church is thinking through together, what does it mean for us to live out our mission to be a sent community, to go into the community? And we want to look at how Jesus understood and discovered his call to go uh, and make followers of God, to make disciples. What was it that informed him? And as a young boy, uh, Jesus studied the scriptures like our children are, but it was in these four servant songs. Uh, we don't know if they were sang, but the, the way Isaiah wrote it. Now, Isaiah 
was well-educated from probably a wealthy class, probably was going to be an attorney or a doctor, but he was called to be a prophet. And, uh, and you, you look at 66 chapters, uh, it's amazing. But uh, the, the language here in the Hebrew is a poem, which usually points to it was written as a poem to be sung. So we don't know for sure. But there are four of them, and everybody who can read Hebrew, and I used to be able to read Hebrew, but that was a long time ago, and I've forgotten how to do it. But people who can read Hebrew say the poetry in the Hebrew is just so beautiful. So if we could all read Hebrew, we could get it. But at least we can know it's there, and we can appreciate it's written to be sung and or to read it like you know when you read good poetry it it sort of speaks to you but it sings to you it's got a music to it a sound to it that you go wow so here we are in isaiah 42 last week we looked at the first four verses of what's going on here and today though we're going to start at verse 9 and work our way back and then work our way into isaiah 43 um so uh, I, we all have ways that we greet each other. Let me tell you the greeting that annoys me the most uh, when people greet me. And, th and that's when somebody will say to me, what's new? And it's kind of like, come on, same old, same old. You know, I, I, I don't want to have to think that hard. What's the, it doesn't feel, I, you're putting me on the spot. You're making me be spiritual. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk about what's new, okay? Uh, but here in this passage, God says this. Listen to verse 9 in Isaiah 42 at the end of the song. Behold, the former things uh, have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And new, new things I now declare. Now those of you who have studied the Bible know the Bible. Jesus picks this up, Revelation 21. Uh, because in his being exalted, it, Jesus says, I'm making all things new. Now, just recently, last weekend, we were at a wedding of good friends of ours' daughter. Uh, she went to Davidson, got married there in Lingle uh, Chapel last uh, Saturday. So when we got the invitation <clears throat> and uh, Valerie was talking to me about us going to the wedding, she was thinking that she needed something new. Now, for the men, you might be slow, but the women know exactly what I'm saying. And she goes, I need, I need something to wear. I need a new dress. You know? <laughs> so if it was me, I'd be afraid because I want to go out and pay full price, buy the nicest thing. But Valerie's very frugal. She loves to shop in places and all this kind of stuff. And she bought this dress. If I told you how inexpensive it was, but how great it looked on her, you would have no idea, you know, what it was. But she got herself a new dress. Now, did she need a new dress? <laughs> no, she didn't, but she wanted to wear a new dress, and I get that. But this morning, what do you need from God that would make you feel new again in your relationship with him? Um, do you need a new life? Do you need to start over? Do you need to feel like, Man, I made such a train wreck of my life. I'm living in the wrong story. Uh, Jesus, where do you want to make me new for you? Well, here's where we want to start. Jesus smiles when we ask him that question. <laughs> so we make him smile. We go, Jesus, tell me, where, where do I need 
to have a new insight, a new experience with you, or an experience I've had before that I've forgotten, but it'll feel brand new. Again, I meet with people all the time, being involved in church for all these years, and um, people who have a fresh encounter with Jesus, they'll say something like this. You know, when Jesus met me, uh, and uh, in this recent experience, I asked myself, was I a Christian before? <laughs> you know, did I even know Jesus? I mean, it's like, was I just a phony? Was I just faking it? Uh, but I feel like I'm a brand new Christian. I feel like God is doing something so new in me that I feel like maybe for the first time I'm a believer. And I always say, no, you've been a believer. It, that's what being a Christian feels like. It constantly feels like I'm a new believer, <laughs> you know? Restoring to me the joy of my salvation. So God is saying to the people here now in Isaiah, uh, there are two sections, chapters 1 through 39 are dealing with the time when Isaiah is um, alive. It's in the 700s, 8th century B.C. And a lot of what Isaiah is addressing at that time is the problem that uh, the nation of Israel had with idolatry. So he's calling out and challenging them because of their idolatry, their stubbornness, their foolishness. There's a lot of great grace in those first 39 chapters, but it's all setting the stage when we get to Isaiah 40 through 66. We go from a book of just, you know, Isaiah calling them out, confronting them, a book of judgment, if you will, against them because of their idolatry. We get to Isaiah 40, verse 1, and some of you already know this verse, comfort, comfort my people. Now, let me share something with you that could really be new for you, and that is to experience God's comfort. Now, in Isaiah 57, looking ahead, what the servant will do is that the servant will say to the people of God, he's going to say, you know, I've seen your ways. I've seen what you really like, and I've seen where you live. Now listen to what comes next. But in Isaiah 57, verse 18, God says this, I have seen your ways, but I will heal you. You know, I lived a lot of my experience with Christ, and I preached and taught, made disciples, started churches, restarted churches, and I missed this whole promise of healing for myself and other people. I think God was healing me, and I didn't know that's what it was, but again, I was too proud to admit that I needed healing. <laughs> you know, you need healing, but I, I, you know, I know who I am in Christ, I know what he says about me, I, I'm good. Until God said, oh no, <laughs> you've got things that I want to do in you that where you need healing because of what's happened to you, what you've done, and why you're so stuck in some of your repeating problems. Um, I want to change you. I want to heal you. It was such a sweet invitation. Now, I'd love to preach that whole passage. Maybe I will after we do the sermon song. But listen to what God says. And this is what's new. When God's doing something new in you, you become teachable. You ask for feedback. Help me understand what this means. Now, intellectually, you might know this is what this means, but you don't have any clue how to live it out. You, okay, I, I know that's what it means, but how do I live this out? Um, 
That's when you know God's healing you as you become teachable. Second thing, and this is the big enchilada for everybody in this room, so get ready. This is so good, but it's going to be new to some of you. God says, and I will restore comfort to you. Some of you don't even know how inconsolable you really are deep down because remember, the country preacher says sin blinds, it binds, and it grinds. And if you feel like you're being grounded down, you feel like I'm just being just, just pushed down, I feel like I'm losing it. Um, and again, let me tell you, I've heard this said multiple times by different people who will sit with me in my office and bang on the table and say, Clyde, I hate my life. I hate it. Whoa, this is somebody who's a leader of the church, and, you know, follower of Jesus. They can say all the right words. They know how to sing the hymns. But they're looking at me and go, I hate my life. You know, a lot of you like Garth Brooks, and, you know, it's always fun when he sings this song, I have friends in low places, you know, because you can see the crowd erupt go, oh, yeah, baby, I'm one of those people who lives in low places, you know. But guess what? Jesus lives in low places. That's where he goes. Because when you go back to Isaiah 57 at the start, it says this, I'm a God who lives in a high and holy place, but in a low place for the humble and contrite. Why? Because I'm going to heal them. So here's the thing that could be brand new for you. If you feel like, man, I, I just feel like um, I'm just, I just stink at following you. I'm, I have no joy. I'm not excited. I'm sorry I showed up this morning. I know I'm embarrassing God and the family and everybody. I should have stayed home and read the sports page. Well, guess what? <laughs> You're here because Jesus wants to do something new in you to help you discover how beautiful his love for you is, how much he delights in you, and that would comfort you it would really begin to melt your hard, cold heart, and you would go, wow. Now, here's the third thing that God says, which is brand new to some of you, and this will push us into Isaiah 43 right now. And that uh, God says this, he says, and I will create on the lips of those who mourn, sad people, depressed people, discouraged, defeated people, I will create praise. I will create worship. You know you are alive to the beauty of who Christ is in you when things are incredibly hard and difficult and discouraging and you want to worship. Wow, that's new, you know. And I've shared with you some of the stories of my journey of helping people recover from terrible things done to them, terrible things that are going on even now. I uh, have close friends in a different part of the country who just got tragic news this past week, which could basically, humanly speaking, bankrupt them, ruin them, cause them to have to move from the, where they live. I mean, it's just, it's so horrific that it's kind of like, oh my gosh. But when I was interacting with the husband through text, he would just tell me about Jesus' presence and power in his life. And I know him well, and I know that he is listening to worship music. So here's how you know you're into the new work of Jesus Christ is that people who are working through tragedy and hardship 
know that Jesus is with them. So just listen to these good words in Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, who, he who created you, now notice Jacob, you know, he's talking to Israel. Jacob was scum. <laughs> he was pond scum. He was low. I mean, Jacob, oh my gosh. He's the kind of person if I'd have met, I'd want to take him out, okay? Freeing him that. But then notice what God says. He who formed you, O Israel. Now, when you know Jesus, you go, yeah, I've been on the other side of knowing God and following God and even have known and followed him, but I've lived like a Jacob. I've been a phony, a pretender, a deceiver. But notice what God says, but I formed you, Israel. He's formed you to wrestle with him and to receive the blessing that he has for you. But here we go. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. Now, <clears throat> if you're estranged from God, alienated from God, feel like he's a long ways away, hear God say to you, you belong to me. You are mine. Wow. Is that good news? Is that new? Hallelujah. Yes, it is. I need to hear it over and over again. I belong to Jesus. Somebody who's really shaped me as a person who understands grace and healing is Brennan Manning. And if you haven't read any of his books, start with the Ragamuffin Gospel, and I can recommend a lot more. But Brennan Manning's centering prayer is, Abba, Father, I belong to you. And if you need to get out of the wilderness, the estrangement. Now again, in Isaiah 40 through 66, he's writing to people in exile. He's writing for them when they're going to be in exile in Babylon. Now again, some of you emotionally are living in exile uh, from what God wants for you, desires for you. But when you begin to hear him call you, you are mine, something happens when you trust it and let it sink right into the depths of who you are. That's comfort. But notice he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Um, when I was a pastor many years ago, uh, in, back in Winston-Salem, the first church we started, uh, we returned to take over our daughter church years later. Um, one of our elders' daughter, who had gone to Wheaton College and went to Cambodia, um, and uh, she went there to serve and do mission work there in Phnom Penh. Now, many of you know Cambodia, awful history there. If you ask me what are the t one of the top five movies I've ever watched, it's The Killing Fields. Um, and again, it's not a movie if you want to get happy and escape. <laughs> It'll just go, oh my gosh. But anyway, so here is Melissa in... Um, living there, and she's captured by some, a band of, you know, marauders, thieves, and they take her hostage because she's a young American girl, single, in there, and, and then they demand this tremendous ransom. Um, tremendous ransom from the United States, from her family, her dad's wealthy, uh, and all that, but let me tell you, when you live through people with that kind of trauma, all of a sudden, <laughs> these verses are real. God, where are you? Are you there? Are you gonna sustain us? Are you gonna hold us together? I remember Tom saying to me, 
I want to get this person, this elder who's been a missionary, can, well, can I go there and can I try and find my daughter? I want to rescue her. And it was weeks and weeks and weeks. But finally it broke and these crazy people released her without any anything. I mean, it was just so miraculous. Now, it doesn't always happen that powerfully, but let me tell you, there's nothing more powerful than when you're going through hard net, net times to know God is there and he's present. And that's part of the power of the suffering servant coming for people. He knows what it's like to suffer, but he knows how to meet us when we are suffering. And this is the way he lets us know it's because we belong to him. Now, when you look at verse four, this is new. Uh, and again, for guys here, you're going to get a little squirrely on me, but hang in there, okay? God says to you, because you are precious in my eyes. Now, for all the guys here who have young kids, your children are precious to you. <laughs> They're precious in your eyes. And can you translate that to seeing, that's the way God, God looks at me the way I look at my daughter or my son. They're precious to me. They're, they're the most beautiful thing to me. And God thinks that way about me. He feels that way about me. Wow, but most of you know that guys really struggle here to believe that they're that loved, that they're that delighted in. And they're so paralyzed to lead their family, to understand Jesus and all that because they're not taking it in for themselves. But notice, because you're precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. There's a lot of imagery in here, but the idea is what God's saying is I will do anything to get you back. I'll get, do anything. I will overlook. Now, he's thinking in terms of conquering land where in for the Assyrians, Babylonians, they wanted to get through Israel to possess Egypt because of it was so wealthy, everything that was going on there. And God's basically saying, I don't want Egypt, I want you. I, I want, I'm willing to exchange, I'm willing to pay whatever price to get you. Now you immediately can connect that to the fact that he was willing to give his son uh, for you so that you would know that you're precious, treasured, belong to him, that he has you uh, for himself. But let's, let's back up, go back to Isaiah 42 right now, and let's look at a couple things that God says about what he's going to do to make you new. He says, I'm going to open eyes that are blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dun uh, dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Uh, the fellow who led me to Christ uh, lives in Gainesville, Florida. He's a PA now, married, had six kids. Well, when I met him and he started talking to me about Jesus, uh, he had just gone through a powerful encounter with Jesus, and Jesus made him new. When I made him, met him, he was a wild man for Jesus. I mean, he, he just was so excited about the gospel, so excited about sharing his faith, uh, that he even pulled me into the net of what God was doing, and he led me to Christ. Years later, uh, I'm at a gathering of pastors in our denomination, Presbyterian Church in America. It's actually down in Florida, on the Palm Coast, uh, and, uh, and I'm talking to this young guy, compared to me, uh, he was young, but he's probably in his 40s uh, then, 
And we were just talking, and, and I said, oh, you're a gator. And he goes, yeah, man. And he's doing the chomp, chomp thing, you know, like Matt loves to do over here. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's talking about the gators. And they, that was the glory years for the gators. Sorry, brother. Where I think Matt's with the children, so I can talk about him. Anyway, um, and so uh, and he says, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, well, tell me how you became a Christ. How did you become a believer? He says, well, I'm in Gainesville. I'm in a fraternity. And I went to a party, I drank way too much. I wake up in the city jail on Sunday morning and uh, I don't know what happened, but I've been told I've been accused of this and this and my life just passes in front of me. And I'm in the jail and the jailer comes by and says, hey, we have early morning services for anybody who got thrown in the jail overnight. Would you like to go to the chapel and hear a message? And he is so broken, undone. He says, take me. <laughs> so he goes into the chapel. Now, who's up there playing his guitar, telling his story? Is the same guy that told me about Jesus. 20 years later, he, he was very involved in his church, but he would go in there every Sunday morning and put on a service for anybody who'd been thrown in jail the night before. It literally happens. Mark's involved in a ministry. Andrew's here of what goes on uh, within our denomination called Metanoia. It's a ministry to prisoners. Uh, and if you've never been in a prison and you've never worked with people or prisoners, men and women, what an opportunity, what a challenge. But it literally says, you know, uh, I'm gonna bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now, I doubt if anybody's ever been here in prison. You know, I remember though one time um, I'm doing premarital counsel with this young couple and I'm encouraging them to make sure they've told everything about their story with each other. And so I said, you know, I said to the guy, let's say his name's John, I said, John, like if you've ever been thrown in jail, if you ever went to prison, uh, you know, you need to tell your sweet, you know, bride that you're gonna marry your fiance and all that. And he's just looking at me, his face just gets white as a sheep. And he had totally hidden from her. He got in a big fight when he was in college. He was charged. He went to jail. He spent time in prison. Uh, you know, but it was just one of those, oh my gosh, you know, I'm choking. Oh, you know, I don't ever ask that question anymore. But anyway, um, but God brings people out of prison and does something really special for them. But I want to circle back and say, you don't have to be in prison, literally, to spiritually be in prison. You know, you can be all locked up inside because of what life has done to you, what's been done to you, what you've done in response to that, and you're just locked up. And you're sitting in that prison cell today, right now, and Jesus is coming to set you free. Jesus is coming to speak to you to say, hey, I'm unlocking the door. I'm taking you out of here. I want to rescue you from the prison that you've been living in. Uh, one of the privileges I've had when I was a pastor was to get a lot of training and counseling from a lot of gifted counselors. Not only have I been in a lot of counseling, but I've been trained by some great counselors. And um, one of them, some of you will know, is Larry Crabb. And he did a training seminar for those of us who were trying to help people with their problems. And let me just say, if you're gonna preach grace, you're gonna talk about the love of Christ, you're gonna talk about stuff that we're talking about here, and people feel safe, 
they're going to open up and they're going to want help. And I realized early on I was in way over my head when I listened to people begin to tell me their stories um, and their families and what they've been through. And so I started going for tra training. So one of the trainings that Larry Crabb loved to do or he put us through was he actually got a couple to agree to let it be videoed so other people could watch them, you know, do counseling. Now I wanna, I won't ask for a show of hands here, but how many of you couples would be willing to have your, you're so desperate to get help, you'll sit with the Jedi Master Larry Crabb, say, yeah, you can videotape it and show it to other people, okay? <laughs> not me, okay? I'll just say I've got a lot of boldness, but I'm not that bold. So anyway, here's, here's the setting, because I want to give you a picture again of what goes on in the church, churches like North Cross, where you have people sitting there who are professing followers of Jesus, but they're living in a prison, spiritually, emotionally. So um, anyway, here's the setting of what's going on. This couple who've been married 20 plus years, they're leaders in their church, they were just, you know, they both are fabulous teachers, uh, they teach marriage seminars, they counsel couples who have problems with their marriage. I mean, they're kind of cruising along, and all of a sudden the wife goes into a deep depression. So the presenting issue, as she comes into counsel with Larry, which uh, you know, probably 50, 60 of us are watching this on a screen, uh, watching him work with her, is that she's just lost it. She's lost her joy, she's lost her faith. She's just like, often her husband is just in tears trying to draw her out, and we're watching it. So the cool thing is you get to watch like episodes, you know, uh, of their counseling, and I'm watching Larry work with them, listen, love them, draw them out. And uh, you can tell at some point though, he, he doesn't have a clue where to go with this. He's stuck, he's in the ditch, because she is just so down. And uh, so he, uh, he finally just says, you know, we've talked about a lot of stuff. He says, what was it like when you first got married? Tell me about your first year of marriage. And he looks up and he goes, we fought all the time. Now, for those of you who are newly married and you fight a lot, it, 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 that's not unusual, okay? For some couples, some couples don't start fighting until later. But I have met with couples that they just got married, they seem perfect, everybody's celebrating, and all of a sudden, because they're strong personalities, they're just like, you know, and I just kind of sit there and get, I'm just trying to help say, there's hope, don't kill each other, you know, that kind of thing. But he said, we fought all the time. And Larry says to him, well, and what did you, what were you, what were you thinking, what did you do? And he said, at some point I just realized I didn't want to fight anymore. And so I gave up and I let her win. You know, I let her dictate and control our relationship because she wanted to control and dictate and I just didn't want to fight anymore. And at that point, his wife literally, through six or seven calendars, has been sitting down with her head down like this, looks up and she turns to him and goes, and you've hated me for 20 years because of that, haven't you? Ba-boom, <laughs> kaboom, aha. And the spirit, I mean, it just, again, you get a privilege of watching somebody in spiritual surgery like that. She began to weep, he began to weep, and all of a sudden you go, 20 years of living on the outside, like we got all the answers, we, we love Jesus, we'll help you, we teach on marriage, da 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 
And all of a sudden, this woman has been in this darkness for a long time because her husband was in prison. Holding on to that resentment and it finally clicked for her. That's what was really wrong with their relationship. Now, I'd love to tell you that's an extreme example. That's an example that doesn't have very much, but I've been doing this long enough that a lot of times people who come to church, they attend church, they go because their spouse wants them to go or they want their kids to go, but they're in prison. They're in prison to resentment, to sadness, to brokenness. Uh, one of the guys that I worked with who was an elder in my church, he grew up in a family which uh, part of their generational sin was they held on to grudges, okay? So here was the be the line in their family. We'll forgive you, but we won't, what? Forget. No siree. He grew up in a family where that's what he learned about forgiveness. A Christian home, in a Christian church, thinking the way you forgive is I'll forgive you, but I am going to make you pay. I am going to hurt you. Now he's the nicest, kindest guy but if somebody hurt him, and he had to work through this, and praise God, he has worked through it. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. But do you see the prison that he was in? Do you know anybody like that, where they're in prison to not being able to forgive? Uh, not the way God forgives. They sort of forgive on the outside. Yeah, I forgive you, but I don't want to see you again. I don't want anything to do with you. And I'll sit over on this side of the church, and you sit over on that side of the church but I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be engaged in you. You see what the servant, the suffering servant, the humility of Jesus, the messianic king, all that coming together, this is power, if you will. This is power. Uh, the way Jesus comes for us and helps us, he meets us even though left to ourselves, we never walk out of that prison cell. He comes because he's hunting for our hearts. Uh, uh, Damon, who was just in India, I was at a conference one time in India, and my prayer partner during the conference was a guy who was from uh, Burma, Nepal area, and uh, Myanmar, Myanmar today. And he was a short guy. Uh, he was a pygmy. And uh, so we're getting to know each other. I said, well, Henry, tell me a little bit about your story. Now, that was an English name. It was something else in whatever language they speak. He said, well, Clyde, my people used to be headhunters. Then a missionary came and told us about the good news of the gospel. And he looked at me and smiled, and now we are heart hunters. You want to know what it means for North Cross to be missional and to be sent? You've gotten a burden for people's hearts. You've been set free to say, I want people to know the comfort of our God. I want them to know that he... God sees them and they're precious in his sight, but you can't give that away. You're not even want to give it away if it's not real for you. And yet again, this is the power of the gospel. This is the power of this meal. This is the power of this message that Jesus has come to heal the brokenhearted and to save the crushed in spirit. Remember back, you back up to verse four, it says this, you know, uh, uh, Jesus says, or the servant says, I will not, what? Break the bruised reed, which literally means the crushed reed. I will not put the person who's at the end of themselves out. I'll make them burn bright again. I will take 
the bruised reed which is hopeless. And this is a great line from Tim Keller. He says, Jesus is incurably in love with the hopeless. This is how you know that you're sent because trust me, friends, not, we don't have to go very far. There are a lot of people living all around here within a mile's radius who not only feel hopeless, but humanly speaking, they are hopeless. <laughs> you know? There's just no way, you know. Were it not true that Jesus has come to love the hopeless, which means he has loved me. Now, one of the things I love about this picture of the servant that God says in Isaiah 42, it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold. Uh, throughout Jesus' life, our Heavenly Father upheld his servant, the servant who would come to rescue us. He held him up throughout his whole life because Jesus lived his life totally in dependence on his Father's love for him until, <laughs> uh, until he had to die on the cross. And you know what held Jesus on the cross? Was his love for you. You know what held him on the cross was your sins needed to be paid for. He was held to the cross by the cross with those nails and that suffering because he loves us and he wants us to know that he wants to use us with hopeless people. So be encouraged, church, today. Jesus is sending you first to yourself. You know? Preach the gospel to yourself. Ask for help. Spend time talking with people. Just say, I, I know this is what it says, but I have no clue what it means to feel it, to experience it, to have joy, to want to worship in the midst of my, you know, I'm tempted to curse at this point, so hang on. I, I, want, I want to worship in the midst of my difficult, painful life, but I don't know how. Jesus wants to teach us so that we can teach others how to experience his love for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, Jesus, for your love for us and your commitment to make us new. And you have so much new things you want to pour into us. And yet, I feel like we've gotten enough for today. Um, thank you for the opportunity now to stand and worship in response. And help us, Jesus, we pray. Amen.